thank you everybody for being here. Um, great book this month. I, I'll be honest, I was, I've been, I haven't read anything Holocaust related for at least, let me try to think, I'm 35, 33 right now. I went to Poland when I was 16 and I think that was the last time I approach anything like a movie or a book or anything related to to the holocaust um so it was i was hesitant to the experience but um i think it was it was a fantastic book um i'm very happy i was brave enough to read it and um i would love to hear from all of you and then i can um just share some general thoughts on the book as well. So whoever wants to start just with a general appreciation on the book and we can roll that way. So I guess I can start. Yeah. Sure. Um, when my husband was reading the book through Audible, he kept telling me what a great book it was throughout the entire time he was reading it. And I, like you, have a hard time sometimes going down that road. Um, when I was in high school, I overdosed on everything Holocaust. I, feel the same way. I was so like caught up in it. And um, then when Steven Spielberg's um, movie came out, Schindler's List, I couldn't see it. I wasn't emotionally strong enough. Mm -hmm. um, I had just had a baby and I was hormonal and I just, I didn't want to do it. So this is also one of the few times I've gone back down that road again. And it really was a good book. Mm -hmm. I really, you know, and, and the writer was so creative piecing it all together mm -hmm. and making it into a real life for us to understand. So, yeah. okay, I'm done. No? Awesome. Great. Anyone else just general appreciation on the book? Well, it helped that the title, you knew they were going to survive. Right. So I could, you know, deal with um, just knowing, okay, they're going to be all right at the end. Mm -hmm. I felt like it did give you that much. Um, there were, I, I usually read at night and there were some chapters I couldn't read. It really just stayed with me, the the um, uh, the cold, uh, what do you call it? The, Siberia. Oh my God. You know, here I am with um, four covers and my feet are cold and I'm like miserable. So I'm not really, but I'm thinking of, of I could never have survived that. Right. Um, and then the other, I thought other scene that was was really scary and upsetting was the um, where they uh, is it Bella uh, the other one with the girl um, Mirren and Mir yes they uh -huh. signed up to go to America and it was really an execution that uh, that was very harrowing Miller not, you know to read and I'd always like to end on one of Addie's chapters you know, at least because it just seemed more of a fantasy getaway, right. you know, he, he, it wasn't easy, but it was better than everybody else. Right. At least physically, we, it then known, we cannot understand what that must have been, but I mean, he was, yeah, he was living yeah. a happy life in theory, at least physically yeah. versus, and, um, well, yeah. and, and we, we know the author, really had most information right yeah. he was he was the central like in you know I, I the way i saw it is like the emotional development of the book is through adi's life then there is physical development through all of the other characters but we really in depth socialize with him we we connect with mm -hmm. him and it's it's somehow his perspective and then at the end you read that it's like he's the grandfather of the author and she's for sure more close to him than anyone else. So everything makes sense again. Yeah. And, and the book could have been three different books too. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And um, it, you know, 
it did seem like they all just got away. I mean, they just, they were just really lucky. Right. And that is the title of the book, right. but they were just so lucky. Right. It, um, you know, climbing over the Alps too. Right. All over. She was pregnant. We didn't know, but mm -hmm. like she, yeah, I mean, wow. Incredible. Any other um, just general thoughts of the book? Well, it was amazing that they all survived. Which is in many locations where they all Oh, no, that's all right. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Susan. Oh, well, I, I mean, I've had um, been lucky enough to have a lot of contact with a lot of survivors, and I've read a lot of survivor memoirs, but never have I experienced an entire family who survived. Uh -huh. And it's, it's almost not believable that, that it's possible that, that every family member. And I know that she, she put the story together from the conversation she had with her grandfather. But what I want to know is, did all of those things really happen right. to the to parents it. and the siblings? Yeah. It's so not a memoir. It's based on real, a real yeah. story. She, the way I, I was reading a few um, interviews with her specifically, the way I understood is that she had the historical facts and then she based the context, like the feelings or the pressure or the fear right. on interviews with survivors or Yad Vashem helped her a lot or all these real sources of what the experience were in very similar situations. She because, did an yeah, enormous amount of research. Right. That was very impressive. Yeah, the, the, re the amount of research, yeah. Which also made me think that any Holocaust book coming forward, I mean, not all of them, but this person was, I mean, I don't know, like five, 10 years older than me. And she, it, it's a new voice of the Holocaust. It's, people talking about their grandparents or people trying to put together family events and less and less that first voice. I mean, we have so many recordings and like we have Spielberg and all these sources have done amazing jobs to try to capture as much as possible. But this is just an example of a, of a voice that is not even a second generation. It's a third generation from the Holocaust and still wanted to to keep that alive and that story alive. Um, I, uh, I'm sorry, I don't want to hog that the time, but um, I'm a docent at the, at the Bremen Museum. And once a month, there's a, a meeting of all of the docents, which now of course is online um, on Zoom. But it was very interesting that last week, the topic was the stories that the grandchildren of survivors know and how the memories of the grandparents are shaped through what the grandparents tell the grandchildren, plus mm -hmm. exactly what this author did is to embellish the parts that she did it, you know, the feelings that she couldn't know. And then that becomes their, that becomes their story. And, and yeah, and it's a, it's a new thing. It's a new thing in Holocaust history, right? Yeah, and I, I mean, I hope more books still coming up. I hope we're not done necessarily. I mean, and again, I recognize I haven't been able to read most of the books post, I don't know, 2000, but still it's good that, that they're still coming. Um, so we can jump into a first topic. If, if anyone wants to say anything, always just please um, jump in. But um, I didn't know whether to start with this or end with this, but let's start. So we'll see. Um, we were the lucky ones. And Charna, you, you, you touch on the topic and the fact that like, we feel that it's, a, it's luck. But then with, before I read the book, I'm like, okay, good that this is the name of the book because attributing survival to a whole family, to anything beside luck, it seems unfair. It seems like, any attribute you would give them, probably millions of other Jews had that, had it as well, and they weren't lucky enough to survive. So it almost feels like that's the only possible title. But then when I was reading the story, 
and I guess I tend to do this and I'm sure we all tend to do this, but you tend to put yourself on that situation. And it's like, I wouldn't have been able to survive A and B to be that creative or that, I don't know, like we, we were talking about the scene where um, Mira is with the daughter. She's like, it's a terrible scene. She's uh, preparing to die pretty much. Um, and she sends the daughter back to the train and I'm like, how she, like, she haven't eaten. She's been walking. She was in the train for all these days. She had this, like, boldness to do this and, like, the strategy and the help. Alina, all through the book, it's, they're so strategic that I was, like, when I finished the book, I was debating, was, was it really luck? Or was it that something else that they had that was able to keep them alive? And I don't know what... I would love to hear your thoughts because I'm struggling with this concept myself. Well, go ahead, Adele. Well, you know, we talk about <clears throat> some, some wide, like, I know when I myself visited Auschwitz, you know, it was so cold. It was back in the 90s, I think, before, you know, there were tours of young people coming through. It was just, um, you know, not no, nobody there really, except my daughter and myself. And here I am in my LL Bean and my parka, and my, you know, all these warm clothes. I just thought I wouldn't have been able to survive. I was barely warm enough, you know, at Auschwitz. I, I just don't think I would have survived. I don't think I would have survived the train ride. Um, when Halima, Helena and uh, her cousin Franca fall in that icy river and then they get out and talk to these soldiers. I think I would have just died of hypothermia. I just don't see how I could have survived any of these scenarios. Well, I, I give it, give credit to our human nature to survive at all costs, no matter what. We are survivors until we can't. And I just, you know, I felt the same way when they were in that ice cold water and they got out and they were in soaking wet clothing, but they knew they had no choice. And every, that same thread ran through all the different scenes with the different characters that they all had a reason to survive. They did not want to give up. They said, um, you know, they, they wanted to reunite with their family. They wanted to see their parents again and their siblings, and they would go to a happy place in their mind, you know, sitting at the piano and family gatherings. They had a way to survive. And that's, I don't know, maybe that's the old thing, survival of the fittest. Maybe it's mental fittest, you know, I don't know. I don't know why some did and some didn't, but uh yeah, that scene by the train where they dug their graves and she had this quick thought. I had no idea that people were able to survive and get away with little tricks like that. Right. I just figured any false move, you get a bullet. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, yeah. that, was, that was amazing to me. So, and I don't think that the author would have made that up. They were bold. I mean, escaping the ghetto, just like, hey, 6 p.m. is the time the doors open. They had that boldness, um, definitely. But then, like, how many others share these values or share these desire to reunite with their families? And at the end of the day, was it luck? I, I don't know. It's Haiv. Hi, sorry I'm late. No worries. Um, we just brought up the the first topic after discussing the book in general about the the title itself of the book. We were the lucky ones, and um, yeah, so we're discussing that concept: luck versus strategy or grid or or okay. what, what was it? <laughs> The survivors I know, everyone has said to me that the reason they survived was because they felt that there was something they had to do. There was something that some 
person that they needed to reunite with, some mission that they hadn't accomplished, and that the thought of what they would do after the war is what kept them going. Mm -hmm. And so the other thing that they have all told me is that they feel it was absolutely sheer luck that one person would have lived, one person would have died. Um, and this family was, you know, fairly assimilated. They were, they had been educated. So they, they hadn't been cloistered, um, you know, just in a little shtetl. They, they understood with the outside world, you know, the mentality of it. And I, I think that that may have helped. Right. Um, but the harrowing, as as the ladies have said, that the, the harrowing escapes the, the frozen river, the train, the I, I, I think the will to survive is very strong and we don't know about it. Yeah. We don't know about it. I'm trying to remember um, Bella's family perished, I believe. Is that right? Yes. yes. Right. But we were never really introduced to members of her family in the book. Um, just the, Anna. the sister, Anna, we, uh -huh. she was present on the wedding and we witnessed her wedding when they went, um, when they left Stark Radom. House. Yeah. So we, a little bit, I mean, we knew a little bit about the parents. She sent a few letters, but we never learned about their family dynamics per se. We knew Anna was a younger sister. We knew a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that definitely their the spouses of the family, they all had their horrible tragedies. I mean, without exception. I mean, Radome was a 30,000 Jewish population and 300 survived. So like 5% of the survivals were part of one nuclear family. I mean, it's, it, it doesn't... There's no rationale behind it. That's why, again, like the title of the book seems like seems good and seems okay. And like I almost out of respect of all the victims, I I was like I hope they understand this was pure luck. But then when you read it, you're like they had something on them that kept them being very creative in the worst circumstances, and they just kept fighting. It's it's a hard I don't know I, I I always went back to the title as I was reading the book I thought it was it was an interesting choice of words mm. by the author. Well, you know, one thing that uh, just of how I how I related to the book, you know, it was um, each chapter was by you know it started out in 1939 and then the different months and then 40 and by. And so, you know, I was born in 42. So when I would read something about 39, I said, oh, I wasn't born yet. And it would go to, oh no, I wasn't born yet. So I'm <laughs> waiting to get up to August 42 when I was born, you know, I'm trying to see what happened just uh, prior to the years of my birth, yeah. Wow, crazy, yeah. Um, and again, like part of that survival and, and I don't wanna necessarily talk about the family in contrast of other people that didn't survive. I don't think this necessarily lacked on other people, but um, the concept, so again, we, we just discussed, they were a very assimilated family. They weren't religious. Um, at some point they were talking about a party they had right after the setter in which they were eating cake and drinking champagne, which again, it's, it, it's they, they were assimilated to a Polish culture. But um, the the value of the family itself that the, the parents put on, on on the kids, it's it, it was whatever they were doing. They were always worried about the rest of the family. They they were always um, back. Their minds were always back to it. And and even like we were saying, like Adi was like the happy character, kind of like the easy life through the work. The the mental just struggle just by always being back to Radom and being back to that house and being back to the piano and being back to that um, Rosh Hashanah or Seder night. It, it, it meant, uh, it was, I, I, it made me feel of my family. I grew up in, I grew up in Latin America with that concept of like, families is just the key and, and it doesn't matter. It's not about necessarily religious experience. It's just, what it is so 
what role do you think if and not only talking about survival itself just in general the role of um of the family in the book that was also part of what gave them the strength to get through all those hardships right yeah. like the faith of potentially going back to their families yeah so um i'm gonna jump way into Addie's life for just a second because I have a question about I guess it's Caroline um, the woman he ended up marrying Um, I got the distinct feeling that she came from Jewish roots but didn't know it there was something that was that she said about names of people in her family and they seem to have a um you know, a traditional Jewish thread. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't know because her parents were dead and she had nobody to ask. I guess they didn't have uh, ancestry.com yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think he, I, I mean, the way I saw it is that he totally assimilated. Um, their, their three kids grew up at some point that they mentioned their, Christian, I don't know exactly, they mentioned which church, but they grew up Christians. Um, I don't know, I, I need, it was so happy they survived, but the, at the end of his story, it, it gave me a little bit of like, and you cannot control it. And I, I'm like trying to rationalize it as like, it went through hell, like, how can you ever judge him? I'm not judging him, I promise I'm not judging him. But that like pain of like, they don't even know they're Jewish, you know, they're, it's, I don't know. I, I didn't get that feeling. I got the feeling that he just fell in love with her and she was extremely kind and, and just a good person. Yeah. No, they just had chemistry. They, they just clicked. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also he noticed, um, oh, go ahead. All the five children had been sent to Catholic school. If you recall you know, the parents um, had been quite, you know, comfortable and they sent the kids to Catholic school to the best schools, but the kids still identified as Jewish. You're talking about the original uh, Kirk? Yeah, the original Kirk, parents. Kirk, yeah. The Kirk family. Yeah, they sent their children to the, the best schools, the Catholic schools, but, you know, the family just we're very strongly Jewish, you know, spending every Rosh Hashanah together, every pass, every, I mean, they didn't lose that even having been to Catholic school. Mm-hmm. I was going to say with Addie, um, he gave, he was able to give his thoughts about Eliska and why that didn't work out. Uh, he knew he couldn't talk about his feelings. Right. And, and, and ha- his mother would say, you know, he told us how he thought what his mother would say, um, you'll, something about you'll know, or um, you have to be able to be yourself. It's a lie. If there is a lie, it's not real love. Oh, okay. Those lines. And he knew that. And then the relationship ran its course and, mm-hmm. and Caroline could. Right. It, it was like such a weight off his shoulders to be able to be with someone that, you know, he could talk about his family. I wonder whatever happened to that embroidered hanky. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but then again, um, I think really what this destroy or whatever, like that first relationship that Adi had is the fact that he wasn't able to connect to his family. And it goes back to the importance that Anywhere they were, it was, I need to get to the back to them. I need, and, and for example, Alina, who, who really was the heroine, like she really was the one that kept the family together. And, and I mean, it may have been mostly Adam's um, activities as the uh, just able to find all these documents and, and that helped, but she would go back into the ghetto, into the cities, into all these just to help her family. And, and again, I'm I'm not trying to say that this is not at all as like other people in the Holocaust didn't have that love for their families. They probably 
90% had the exact same love. It's just that they had that plus the, the resources and the strategy and and it, but the families what, I don't know, I kept it. I, I kept using these little like tree at the beginning of the book, like at least till like half the book. I did so, too. I just to see oh, yeah. who was who. And then, but, and then I almost use it as an analogy, like as like, it just kept them together. You know, they were part of one structure. Well, you know, it's interesting. I bought a used copy of this book and there's notes all over the, that family tree. Like there's notes about who married oh. who and oh. children nice. and yeah. Nice, that's so good. Wow, awesome. Um, another topic that again, I, I think for my personal experience of living in many countries and having my own identity, um, it surprised me is that, um, and, and this again may have helped them, but beyond, I don't think it was as a strategy for them, is the level of, of nationalism they had and like the love for Poland in the land. And, and it wasn't many generations ago or years even where still pogroms were happening in Poland and anti-Semitism, maybe they were very well integrated into society, but anti-Semitism was around Poland everywhere at that time. So what do you, what was your sentiment or your experience where they would like risk their lives just to not be called something else but Polish or, or they were so proud to be able to fight for the, for, for the army and, and defend Poland. Um, what was your thought about that? You know, it's interesting because it brought to mind, I have, uh, my family, part of my family came from Poland. And um, my, I think it was my father. He, he wasn't from Poland, it was my mother's side. But he mm -hmm. used to say that Jewish people are not from Poland, are not Polish. They aren't the Polish people. Mm -hmm. That the Polish people were not the Jews of Poland. And that the Poles were not good, were not nice to the Jewish people. And so, you know, that, that was my very early years of always wondering about Poland. You know, I figured, hey, if you're born there, that's who you are. But um, I don't know. I don't know, it's, it's, it's weird. I'm born in America, I'm American, yet I identify with the roots of my people, which is, hmm? He, he wouldn't sign that paper uh, saying that he was no longer mm -hmm. Polish, that I am a, so a Soviet citizen. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't agree right. to say that. Right. But that's what got him um, deported, you know, was insisting that I'm Polish. He wouldn't, you know, give up his Polish identity. Yeah, and we learned later Selim had the same... I mean, Selim disappeared for 200 pages of the book. We, yeah. we knew it wasn't dead, but we thought potentially it could have been. Um, but it, it, was the the same, it was the same reason. The doctor. Um, the doctor, yes, who ended up also in Siberia, also in Russia in, at a time. And yeah, so we have two characters that, I mean, again, it may have helped them at the end. <laughs> there's, there's no question that probably being in Poland, it, it was just the worst possible place to be. But um, the moment they decide to fight against the Russians, it, it was definitely a, a risk. And they were, they were proud. They were proud to be Polish. And I don't know, I, I think about today, I, when I was trying to read all these questions, um, trying to research like what are good questions for a book lab, a lot of the questions are, I think, I, are geared towards not Jewish people. Like, what type of values you would want to pass your kids about this? And we, I mean, we live through these values. Like, it's different. But this was something that stick to me. Like, is this something we should pursue? Like, feeling that we belong and feeling that we love the country we live in, independent of where it is in the globe, or is it being too comfortable is, is almost like dangerous. I don't, I, don't, I don't necessarily have an answer. I would love 
to hear your experience or thoughts on this, but um, the book definitely made me think about that balance or contrast. I think with the with Genek and uh, Salim, when he refused to remember that the Poles and the Russians at that time hated each other. They hated each other. They were enemies. So for him to have sworn allegiance to the Soviet Union, the sworn enemy of Poland, um, makes sense that he wouldn't have done it. It wouldn't have occurred to him that they were going to send him to Siberia. Otherwise, he would have said, you know, fine. But but that's different. So because but today. You know, it's always the question with people, are you an American Jew or are you a Jewish American? Mm -hmm. And uh, and people see it from they see it from from two sides. And and now that we're blessed to be alive when the state of Israel exists, then that puts a whole different spin on where you, your country, you know, where you live. So it, and I think that in, in, in the part of the book, I mean, just in the context of the time period, of, of when it was that he wouldn't have declared himself uh, a Soviet citizen mm -hmm. just because of the, the historical relationship at that time. Right. That's interesting. I'm sorry. No, I was gonna say, I think even at that time, the um, Jews um, above a certain income level who were living in Germany, meaning the ones that weren't sort of very, um, like super religious and, and the ones that were wealthier, they identified as German first. Right. I think it's the same kind of thing. They couldn't believe what was happening because they said, well, we're German, this is gonna pass. Mm -hmm. Right, and then it's hard to think whether, I mean, we, we have those, we all, we, again, like we get too comfortable in a new place. It, it's human nature. Mm, it's you want to belong. You, you want to belong with the people around you, you know? So, I mean, Israel brings a whole different layer to, to these like dual type of like, we were always like Jews. My, my, my father in Chile, is, he's in politics. He's, he has had like high positions in the government. And that has always come up as like, are you more loyal to these or to that? Like, how is your loyalty like level? Um, just, I mean, I think in America it's a little bit less of an issue, but it's less of an issue because we're better integrated. I, I don't know. It's it's always um, it's hard to now. And again, with with Israel, is is one more layer. It's like, should we, we don't need to choose. Like, no one is putting like a, a level like making us choose, but like. In the back of my mind, I'm always like, whatever happens, we have Israel, you know? Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah and that's so plan B. Right. So now with what's going on in our own country, it actually frightens me and brings to mind a lot of what you just said. We are all Americans, but in the eyes of these crazy militia people and whatever other titles they give themselves, we're Jews first. Mm-hmm. And they'll come after us because right. we're Jews. Right. And it's frightening to think history could repeat itself. You yeah. have a, a very crazed, emotional crowd of people mm -hmm. with a crazy leader who will do anything. Right. So I mean, we have no historical reason to believe history is not going to repeat itself. <laughs> it's just right. because it's just the fact that we are by nature we forget and uh, it's probably good we don't need to necessarily want to live with the trauma of of hundreds of generations you know but um it history has repeated itself one and one time again so um i, I wonder i mean i wonder if part of what we're talking before it's just human nature and you become you need to belong you need to belong in the land you're leaving independent whether it's poland or it's the u.s today or I don't know, I'm sure Jews living in South Africa feels very proud to be in South Africa, wherever it is, you know. Um, I, I gave just an example, I mean, but um, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, that is specific pride and, and but then the contrast of Georgia saying that no one of that first generation was able to go back to Poland. She was the first. So 
they would have given their life or they were able to risk and willing to risk so much for Poland. And then they saw the war and they saw what happened. And once they were out of there, they don't want to be back. And that's not part, I mean, it's part of their identity, mm. but they, they, they are, they have had enough, even with Europe, some, someone were saying that they wouldn't even go back to Europe as a whole, you know? So I wonder to what stretch we, we have that type of like, um, pride or loyalty to, to the country. But that, I mean, those were just some general topics on the, on the book. I think um, there are certain characters or elements of, of, of the book itself that um, we all had our characters. I mean, probably our favorite characters or, or the ones that shocked us the most or represent us the most. Um, for me, Alina was the one that made it possible for their family to survive. And the interesting thing that she had, and, and I, I, I think because I'm as far as anyone can be of, the, of having this quality, that, that caught my attention so much. Who found the place for the um, she had her own set of rules. She didn't live by anyone's rules. Since she was young, apparently, she, she wasn't about following their parents as, as they said, but like when you come to the war itself, which is the experience we saw it, she, there were very strict rules in, in, in social schemes that were happening and she was always willing to break them. And with the boldness of, of being just, I mean, she had the looks of not being Jewish that definitely play in her favor, but like, Starting when she went to take Adam out of the camp, like, do you think I'm not German? Look at me, you know, like, who did that, you know? And then from there on, um, just that that idea of like, I put the rules and I go by my own rules, I think um, was just something that shocked me and made me think a lot about how I'm very different to that type of character. Do you feel there is one character, it can be a linen specifically with this topic of, or something else that like really shocked you or, or made you almost like evaluate, like how would one react, which I think it's like a natural human tendency to be like, what would have been my reaction? But is there any character that caught your eyes the most? Well, I wouldn't say that it's the character that caught my eye the most, but it was the, it was one of those feel good moments in the book is when Addie was on the ship and he was able to sneak in to the upper class lounge and started playing the piano. Mm -hmm. And he brought some levity to a heavy life that all these people were feeling and, um, that was just, a, I, I really, I liked how he did that. And, um, but I think as far as like someone who was faced with such a challenge, I think it was Mila and her little girl. Oh my God, yeah. And I mean, right from the beginning, taking her into the factory with her and keeping her strapped to her chest and hiding her. And, and this little girl was so obedient. It was incredible. Right. that this toddler didn't want to go running around all over the place. She listened to her mother right. having to stay home alone all day long over and over again. It just, I would love to know what happened with that little girl in her life. Um, I think you, I think she has a Wikipedia page. I think really? um, Felicia, I think you can find information on her. There, yeah. She is the one was, that said um, on that first family reunion, we were the lucky ones. Yeah. So okay. um, at least we know that about her. But I mean, she left the world at six or seven, around that age. I have met, like, I mean, she, she wasn't a baby. 
let's say like that. She remembers the war. She remembers those events. So yeah, know oh, how fun. she was able to, at some point at the end of the war, um, Mila says, my daughter has not known any reality that it's not people wanted to kill you just because how you were born. You know, like all the rest had that life they want to go back to and that um, life before the war and that almost illusion that things are better, can be better because they were better. But she didn't have that. She, this is all she knew. All she, she never knew. had a childhood. No. At all. Oh, many didn't. No right. Yeah. Well, another, going back to that execution scene um, where Mila was trying she was thinking and thinking and, and trying to get out of the situation. And she realized when she saw that first lady go up that, mm -hmm. the, you know, you have to have something to, to give, you know, like there was a dentist and she was like, I don't have anything to offer. And then she realized she had her wedding ring. Um, yeah. You know, that saved her along with her other smarts, but um, she got, down to the basics of what she needed to get out of there. Um, yeah, uh, all a lot of her stories were just um, very difficult. So my husband and I were on a cruise up in um, in that region, and one of the stops stopped in uh, Riga. I think wasn't it Riga? No, Gdansk. 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 Oh, that's where my. That's that's where my grandparents are from, Gdansk. Wow. Okay. And did they survive the war? They all came here in, um, I think, the 1890s. My grandfather was a tailor in Chicago, and he made enough money to bring everyone over, I think, except one sister didn't mm -hmm. make it. Well, when we were in Gdansk, we took the Jewish tour. And we saw the memorials and then they took us to one of those killing zones, one of those places in the forest where they lined people up and just randomly shot people and left them there and in the ditches. And when I was, that wasn't Gdansk, where was it? It was, yeah, we, we did most of Latvia maybe. I don't, we did the Jewish tours wherever we would go. And that was, um, no, there was a concentration camp there. Mm -hmm. That's right. And it was like a raw, true historical, whatever was left over. It wasn't like Disney-fied, like some of the other concentration camps that were cleaned up and made nice for tourists. Well, this wasn't nice. And um, just, so many of the scenes in the book brought me back to that tour I was on. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I, it wasn't cold weather, so I didn't feel that cold that uh, I think that Hannah was talking about. Mm -hmm. But um, I don't know. It just, mm -hmm. it was very real when I was reading the book about you know, when she was, they were digging the graves and... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, has anyone else been over to that area? I, I did the March of Living. Um, it was April and the cold. I, I laugh because it's like it's in the book. Every time like April come, it's like they're happy because summer or <laughs> at least it's livable weather, you know, like right. survivable weather. And I remember having like two North Face and being couldn't handle in the cold um but yeah so I mean again I wasn't in this specific I wasn't in Radom specifically but I was in Poland and and through many ghettos in which today I mean all those houses are they, they have I mean Polish people living on them there's no more Jewish quarter anywhere pretty much I mean now there's some sort of Jewish life but minimum um and you still can see the shaded um, area where the mezuzah would be in every single door. And it's every door. It's like you would work, walk and walk and walk for 
just miles and every single door you would go up and, and just like these three story, they, they tend to be like these three, four story buildings, very old buildings. Every single door had um, just the mark of the Mezuzot. And it just, it, it, to think how Jewish those places were, it, I, I don't think like we can imagine how Jewish, but yeah. I, I used that as a place to go back when I was reading the book. I mean, they didn't live in the Jewish area. They lived in the more wealthy area. You, we learned that about this family specifically, um, which one of the questions again that I just read um, as recommendation questions for a book club um, by the author was, do you think that being secular helped them or hurt them? And I, I was like, I read that. I sometimes I read some questions before I read the book, so I can have them in mind, you know, through the book. I was for sure it hurt them, but then when I read the book, I, I felt the opposite. I felt in their case, um, having that, and and there are a few times in which they knew these things that they, the Polish people used to say. Um, that probably Jews weren't taught, you know, that because they went to a non-Jewish school, they knew, you know, their their, their knowledge on this on the society was a help. But that was when I was reading the book, I went back in my head to like this ghetto and these areas um, in Poland, and and after that is when I never went back to read or or do anything Holocaust related. But um, definitely happy I was able to read the book's book. Absolutely. Yeah. So any so, other character or time in the book that someone felt close or connected or challenged? I mean, I, I feel Alina challenged me in good ways, you know, uh, that's, that's good about a book. That's things we want to feel. You know, the book does refer to um, Jewish life going back to World War One. Um, they mentioned hiding out in the basement for three years. Right. So, it, because of the pogroms it, during World War One, uh, three years in the basement. Oh my God. I mean, that generation that was between the two wars, you know, that lived both wars, it's, that probably gave them some more resiliency too. But every time I read a Holocaust book, that is, they always start before the war, right? That's 90% or maybe 100%. That time and time again, where they start realizing that things are getting worse. And I'm like, just leave, just leave, just leave. And, and it keeps getting worse and it keeps getting worse. And then it's too late. And then they're just, just too late, you know. Um, this happened in this book again. This and you're like, they should have not, like, you, you feel like they live through pogroms over and over again. But again, it's impossible to judge. I don't know if we would know today. I mean, to be honest, it's, it's just human nature. I think this family felt that because they were secular and they, um, you know, they had the right connections that somehow this wouldn't happen to them. Right. Somehow she wouldn't end up picking turnips in a field. You right. know, somehow yeah. this right. wouldn't happen to them. Yeah, that, that was the first realization, I think, in which it's not going to help me. Whatever I thought I had, it's not relevant anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there, you know, we were talking about um, my overdose of Holocaust reading in high school. There is one book that left an impression on me for life. And it's a true story, autobiographical by a woman named Judith Strick Dryben. And I think the, the name of the book is Judith Strick. I can't remember exactly. But she survived as a teenager being moved from one concentration camp to another simply because she could speak so many languages perfectly, fluently. And she kept telling them that they had a, the wrong person, that um, you know, they, they just 
the, the wrong, per, wrong person. And so she made it and she made it to Israel. Uh, it's a really great story if you're ever interested. Judith Strick Dryben. Mm. Yeah, I see it here. Judith Strick, a girl called Judith Strick. That's it, yeah. I'll put it and on that. That was so inspirational. It's probably what caused me to love learning foreign languages. <laughs> if I ever had. Hmm? I was surprised about uh, some of the members in public, like um, Helene's a friend from high school, Sylvia, pretended like she didn't recognize uh, Helene when, you know, Helene was in the truck being shipped out to work on the farm. Like Sylvia pretended like she turned her head away, like, I don't know, this Jewish woman. And then I thought about her reaction. And then uh, some of the people, it said that villagers would come out to the concentration camp trains to the, to the station and try to offer them food or water, but the soldiers would push them away. You know, so I just was thinking how some people reacted and some people came, you know, came forward and some people retreated. Right, I there's, think, that, I mean- There's a very, I'm sorry, ahead, there's a very interesting museum in Amsterdam. Um, it's um, resist, collaborate and then um, resist collaborate and then I think I forget what they call it but the third category is just indifferent is just indifference and it was the reaction of the Dutch people to the Germans in World War II and it was kind of like we saw that in the book you know you can either be actively part of the Germans you can try and help the Jews or you're just like indifferent, you don't notice as a survival mechanism. And I think that's the three characteristics of how people got through that time. Um, and the museum challenges you, it gives you different scenarios and challenges you to think about what would you have done in those scenarios? It was very interesting. Yeah, I, um... Again, I mean, we, we see it from our own lenses and perspective, but like the, the few examples of non-Jews helping them survive, and it's not only a few, I think um, we have, probably all of them had one or a few situations um, that the fact that uh, Jacob was able to come to the factory to work, work with Bella was for mm -hmm. a Nazi that did a favor, Alina's boss, who the, the, the banker yes. there more than once. I mean, the, the, the nuns that took um, the girl. So that is because the, the standard was, I want my pound of sugar. Give me my pound of sugar. I'll give you the juice. That just, just was the standard. And, and we know that even in, in the book, it says that even juice would do it, you know, mm -hmm. without knowing the obvious and Alina is like, are they stupid? They don't know they're going to die anyways. Like, but the Polish did get the pound of sugar. <laughs> and, yeah. and, um, but then you had that couple who hid the parents in their crawl space. In right, the house. Exactly. But even for months and months without getting paid, they continued to take care of them. Right. That is the yeah. where it's like, are they going to be amazing. there? Where are the parents? Yeah. So, um, and, I, and I think that's the, that's heartwarming. It's, it's, there is a human nature that is horrible and, and, and there's a human nature. It's, it's part of the same human element, which is care for each other. And what is that few people are able to, to develop and live through that standard and most people are just not able to. I don't know. I mean, when I was in Poland, many of the non-Jews that helped Jews said, and, and I don't know how I feel about this, but I'm just going to repeat it, um, said that they were doing it to be good Christians. Mm -hmm. So it was God. It was like, I, I, this is a value for me. Life is a value for me. It's, it said... That was, I think, the number one reason um, that people that saved Jews through the war gave to do it. It's the, because they were following the Christian values and the Nazis weren't. It's okay, we'll take it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's just, yeah. I, I, 
I don't believe religion itself, but maybe was the reason these people. I mean, I don't know. It's it's a hard. I don't know this banker. I don't know like the people in the book. I don't think they. Well, the nuns, you can assume they were religious, but the rest of the people, I don't think there was much text. You know, the irony is that one of one of the uh, family members noticed that on the belt buckle of the Nazis, it said, you know, uh, that we believe in God or something. I don't know if you remember reading that, but it was on the German belt buckle, like mm. God we trust or God is on our side or right. something like so, that. I just want to add one little um, family story of my husband. He was born and raised in Israel. Um, almost all of his family from Poland perished. One, the only people who survived were people who weren't there at the time that the war broke out. Um, but his, uh, he has one first cousin who is 91 now. Her name is Osnat. Her father paid one of his employees to take her in and hide her because he had a feeling of what was coming. And um, they kept her in their house and they hid her. Wow. When she was 14, she, I think she was 14 or maybe older, I don't remember, but she made her way to Israel by herself. Nobody mm -hmm. left in the family and moved in with my husband and his family who were very poor and lived in a tiny two-room apartment. And she stayed with them in the beginning of her new life in Israel. And she's a, she wrote her life story. It's all written in Hebrew, though, so I can't read it. <laughs> she was the only one after the war realized that the only one in her family. Yeah, she family. was the only survivor, right? Yeah. Let me add my two cents. I'm listening. Please. You hear my accent. I was born in Israel. I wasn't born here either, so accents are oh. welcome. It's okay. <laughs> and my parents survived because they came. They were Zionists, and they went to Israel in '36. They both came from similar families to the Kelters, very wealthy families. Kirk, Kirk. Yeah. Kirk. and the whole families were decimated. And Adrian just mentioned the cousin. She's the only survivor on my mother's side. What touched me when I listened to the book was the description of the Seder. In the beginning, there's a description of the family on Seder night. And now it made me think about my family. Wow. But even though my families in Poland were very wealthy, they never changed their name. Kelts is not a Jewish name. So they were more assimilated. They changed the name already to, I don't know, maybe it was... Yeah, Ben was Sinovich, his family, Sinovich. Yeah. But then so reading the book, it sort of connected me with my families wow. in Poland based on the stories that I heard as mm. a kid. Yeah, like you were saying in the beginning, how the grandkids are, are carrying on the story of the Holocaust survivors of their families. And Ben now carries that story right. from what he's been told. Right. And um, you should write it down. Yeah, I would love to get Osnat's book translated. Also, what's the name of the director of the more famous Jewish Schindler? Uh, oh, um, Spielberg. Spielberg. But my cousin who survived, Spielberg gave a lot of money to record the survivors. And yeah. she was one of those, she That's told them stories for hours. Right. That, that effort, I think, it, it's going to change the history. Um, they in Chile has a lot of survivors because, I mean, it's known and criticized, which it should be that Chile and Argentina refuge um, a few Nazis, not a few, many, probably. A lot. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the flip side, which is, I guess, even more important, is that they weren't very careful also with the Jews that would arrive. So many were able, the time that even most countries in the world were closing their um entrances to jewish ships they never did it you know so um they were able i mean if you were all able to get all the way down there they would let you in so um ships with jews 
kept arriving. I mean, at some point they weren't they weren't free anymore to escape, you know. But they came till the 39 and 40, and then again um, 45. They didn't need a visa. They didn't need a sponsor. They just they were able to enter. So the Spielberg initiative had a big impact um, in Chile as well. There are 200 plus recorders um, from people, but yeah, it's it's those those type of efforts are, are going to become books, are going to become stories that we share. But yeah, it. But I mean, thank you, Ben, for sharing your your experience because I think um, it contrasts that it was luck. It wasn't that they were secular or it wasn't that they loved their family. You know, like these were elements that were probably present in many, many families living in Europe at the time. They were, the, the high class were very educated and were very assimilated. And Yeah, you know, talking about luck, maybe it's not so much that they were lucky, but um, had they tried the same strategies to get through whatever dilemma they were in, the luck was the person they were up against, right. that that person allowed them to, I guess, get away with it, so to speak. They were lucky, they were lucky. Well, they were lucky that that was the person they had to deal with who took the wedding ring or who, you know, or who helped with uh, the, the husband and wife working together. You know, that was, that was lucky that those people were in those positions. Right, I, I also, I mean, again, and, and this was written and we, we could have a, an hour discussion if we want about the literature decision of the author. I, I think she was really talented. I liked the way it was written in the book, but I don't know how much of this I attribute to her or to historical facts. So again, we, we're reading from the perspective of the book, but True. Um, True. she had a feeling that it was a split of a second that made the difference. You know, like they got at the door at the exact second and then they closed and they so and that to me is what I attribute to luck you know that and again I don't know how much of this is a strategy or how much of this is really luck but it felt that um there were many times where it was a split second um in which they just were able to act and um regardless of like the fact that they were starving and they, they were able to think and act and get it done. But um, it definitely, I mean, it was, it was a great recommendation. Thank you for the book uh, idea. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm still trying to um, internalize what I take from it. You know? um, <laughs> It'll stay with you. I have another recommendation for you. Okay. The Nightingale. I read it. Yeah. It's read wonderful. It. And that's a beautiful book. Read I read it. that one. And, yeah. And then um, going back to the luck um, discussion, one thing we didn't talk about, um, this took smarts, but it was also luck. Uh, when Adam created the, uh, where he dropped his pants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. I mean, he devised some little bandage thing, and it was fun. And, okay, so that was smart, but it stayed on. I mean, it it like didn't sweat off, or and it stayed on, and it created a look and, without the lights so, on. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, she he said a second before, like turn the light off. I'm like, what's going to happen here? Yeah. Um, and I knew, and you knew that was coming. I did. I could. Yeah, I knew. Yeah. Um, that yeah. was another levity moment. They were, yeah. what, what I was thinking, and not to minimize the book, but one of the things that I was thinking of as I was reading it is, you know, so many of us are sitting here feeling not happy and complaining because we can't see our families, but we know we will. Right. And we talk to them and we know where they are and we can Zoom with them. And these people had no idea where their families were. Exactly. I just can't imagine that. Right. I can't imagine that full, wonderful feeling of elation when the Red Cross says, we oh, found yes. somebody. Mm, that must be amazing. In the book, I was like crying. Or just yeah. like this feather in Brazil, but like that last feather, like every single member of the family is yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and and I think that's the, the takeaway. I mean, 
Well, you know, I was something I was impressed about the character is that even under these horrible circumstances, how generous they were, like uh, she split her half her uh, hard boiled egg with Tomas, the, the, you know, the, the wagon mm -hmm. driver. And then the mothers uh, left a lot of uh, goodies for her neighbor when she was packing up to leave. I just thought even in the worst circumstances, these people were so generous. Yeah. And, and they lost, you can say beside their family, they lost everything. But while they were going through the war, that was the only thing they care. So I, I mean, I think for me, like, it's like that contrast to today. It's like, those are the moments we cherish the most. And um, hopefully now the vaccine, I think, is getting more available. <laughs> we're going to be able to reunite, but... But yeah. that's what we mean, and that's, I don't know, that should be the, the focus of our lives, the way it was for them. So, okay. Yeah, so, this I is... mean, um, 10 minutes passed, sorry about that, but it's, it's, it's hard yeah, to we... start the conversation. I so, know, we started a few minutes late, so it's just yeah. right. Um. So, I... So I was talking a little bit with Ravayari, but as soon as um, I can get a length um, conversation with him, we have a three, four candidates of books. If you want to recommend, you're always welcome. Otherwise, um, in a few days, we're going to let you all know the date and the next book. So I'm looking forward to see you. Oh, all. Thank you. Thank you. I'm hoping for the last meeting not Bye, everybody. So Thank you so much. Thank you, Ariel. Bye. Have a great day. Bye.